This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode four of the the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Please support our sponsor, Biostar US. Today's show is going to cover consignment horse sales. Is that the right choice for you? The dog breed is the greyhound. Nutrition will be feeding the omega-3s, flax and chia seeds. Coffee Clatch, our 2016 predictions. And this is Patty Prucci. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas, everybody. I want to share with you a little poem that we wrote in honor of the holidays from a strictly healthy critter's point of view. And now let's enjoy a dramatic reading of The Night Before Festivus by Healthy Critters Radio co-hosts Tigger and Patty, with an assist from Hedwig the Pomeranian. It was the night before Festivus, and all through the farm, the creatures were stirring and preparing the barn. The bridles were hung in the tack room with care, in hopes that St. Festivus soon would be there. The horses were blanketed and snug in their stalls, while mice strung the lights and sang Deck the Halls. And the dogs hung the popcorn and told the raccoons to stop eating the ornaments or they eat potion doom. When out on the lawn there rose such a smell, a chorus of whinnies, and Bark said, what the hell? The barn cat leaped up and climbed straight up the tree. The dogs ran outside to see who it could be. The moon on the pasture of the new fallen snow gave the dogs a clear view of the figure in tow. When what to their wondering eyes did appear but a big John Deere tractor pulled by giant reindeer. With a little old driver who looked like a fox who called out to the dogs, where's the bagel and locks? More rabbits and fox sounds, the reindeer did fly. The fox whistled and shouted as their name she did cry. Now Basher, now Lancer, now Panzer and Vision. On Gromit, on Stupid, on Bonner and Nixon. To the pasture, to the barn, through all the snow, it's festive this time. The fox sang through the cold. So over to the barn, the reindeer did fly. Pulling John Deere and the fox to the small-tutted sky. And then in a twinkling, the fox did dismount. The reindeer snorted and whispered, he needs a time out. St. Festivus Fox strode into the stable, scanned the aisle quickly, and announced, where's the cable? The horses pawed eagerly because they knew well the airing of grievances would allow them to tell how they have endured human tears and frustration to say nothing of that who need a vacation. The fox's eyes, how they twinkled, lips in a grin, because the mice had discovered a flask full of gin. He had a plump face and a round little belly from the meal he had eaten at a festivist deli. He drank... From the gin flask and set up a pole, the festivist celebration was ready to roll. He let out the horses, told the dogs to chase cats, while the raccoons climbed the pole like two acrobats. He sprang to his John Deere, to his team, gave a yell, and away they all flew to Racine's William Tell. But the dogs heard him exclaim as he flew through the night, Happy Festivus to all, this is a Seinfeld copyright. Coming up next is our prognosticating Pomeranian, Ask Hedwig. 
So Hedwig, we're gonna we're talking about predictions for 2016, and we'd love your prediction for dog fashions in 2016. Hello, Tigger. As you probably know, I'm one of the few small dogs who does not often sport an outfit. <laughs> um, I see no need for this sort of thing due to the fact that I was born ridiculously good looking. <laughs> so what's the need to enhance my extraordinary looks, really? That's that a very good said, point. Thank you, Patty. I try to be as logical as possible in our discussions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. That said, I do have an extraordinarily cute little jacket and some leather bomber jacket. Well, they sheepskin, not real sheepskin. That would be inhumane, according to the servant. Collar and a little snap pocket, which I do wear when it's chilly. My sister has a snowsuit, which is adorably cute, but I would never wear it because it just does. It's not my style. No. So well, what do you what do you see in doggy one. fashion? Okay, so, like so doggy off. fashion in twenty sixteen. Yeah, well, you what have do any you well, see? I mean, I hope that this fad of dying dogs to match certain holidays, for mm-hmm. example, your pet must be green for St. Patrick's Day. That is just freaking ridiculous. <laughs> um, I am optimistic as well that no patriotic individuals will try to make their dog match their country's flag during major sporting events. <laughs> For example, when we're all down in Florida and there are CDIs, if any of you try to paint me red, white, and blue, it's curtains for you. Okay, noted. You are not Write just fired. Yeah, <laughs> not fired. fired. You're dead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Uh, Is there anything so, from, like, from fashion... Well, I, um, the fashion world that you that you see maybe trending to uh, our canine friends. Well, I mean, I think one thing to keep an eye on is, for example, the designs that really I believe are associated with with Yves Gaultier, but you know, Isa Saint as well, because <laughs> some of the corsets that they used about two years ago on the runways, I see them sort of mirrored or reflected in in the collars that are worn by some of my larger dog friends. Okay. I, of course, am a harness wearer, but I would not be opposed to, for example, a platinum harness, perhaps of corslets made of platinum so that I would look especially fancy for a big event. <laughs> okay. Got it. Know your- <clears throat> so maybe would you, would you see a little like Tiffany bling? Oh, Oh now bling is another thing that we should discuss. And I'm so glad that you brought it up. I hate shiny things. Ridiculousness. Why again, would you try to make me look like I was bedazzled? It's just no need for that sort of nonsense. Keep your bedazzler in the 1980s where it belongs. (laughs) I do not need strange things on my collar. And I do not like it on horses either or on leashes or anywhere near me. It should stay away. Write that down, Tigger. (laughs) We've got a few things we've got written down here. Duly noted. Duly noted. Okay, Hedwig. Well, thank you very much. That's Those are tips that I'm sure our listeners will appreciate when they go shopping for accoutrement for their yeah. dogs. <laughs>
So our guest, our guest now is Jeff Johnson from Impulsion Unlimited, and he's going to be talking about horse consignment sales. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. Um, we thought that this would be a good topic for uh, Christmas um, holiday season, but also since we're getting into um, the winter and a lot of people, um, at least in my experience, have if they're going to sell a horse, they generally wait till the last minute. And so we wanted to just get you on and ask you some questions about the business. And um, obviously, I've known you and Sue for quite some time. And I know that you guys do a lot of internet stuff, um, which has always been extremely helpful, obviously, with now the day and age where everything is going. Um, what um, I just have a couple questions I want to ask you about just different things that people should consider when doing this or, or wanting to send a, sort, a horse. What, what should the seller consider when deciding who is best for selling their horse? Well, I think that uh, there are a number of things that come into play. I mean, people that are selling horses typically have three different avenues that they pursue. Okay. Uh, the first avenue is trying to sell it themselves. Right. The second one is trying to sell it out of the barn where the house where the horse is kept. Okay. And then the third, which is a distant for a lot of folks, is the idea of sending it to someone that they may or may not know mm-hmm. that specializes in horse sales to get the horse into the right situation. Okay. All right. You know, so, so from a consideration standpoint, the second part to your question is, uh, if you're trying to sell the horse on your own, uh, you're going to be at somewhat of a distinct disadvantage because most folks don't sell horses for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't necessarily know how to properly screen out buyers or ask right. the right questions uh, in order to understand buyer needs. And it can be a, a very, very time uh, intensive process without a lot of results. Okay. Uh, the the second you know the second avenue, which is you know more commonly done, assuming the horse is in a professional atmosphere, working under you know a professional like yourself, Patty. Mm-hmm. Uh, second idea for a lot of folks is okay. Well, I'll just use my trainer. They know me. Right. They know my right. horse. My right. horse can stay in the barn in a situation that we're all comfortable with. Right. Um, and so that's a, a very has been a very common way to do it. But again, uh, a challenge that we often run into as a trainer, uh, you make your living training horses, Mm -hmm. doing lessons, teaching clinics, and so forth. And and what happens is is there's so many many hours in the day. And so the last thing that a lot of folks are really wanting to do, and you mentioned internet, but is get into the idea of proactively marketing the horse Right outside of their immediate sphere of influence, so, which is a, which is an excellent point because that's how you and I and Sue really started to get to know each other. Um, just as an example, is I had quite a lovely horse that I had um, done really all the right things, and I just couldn't get him sold through my avenues. And I sent him to you and Sue, and you very successfully did that. Right, and and it's really you know and. Being that we know each other, there's a little bit of background here. I'll explain a little bit about the relationship for the audience on on Jeff and Sue. We have two very distinct roles in the business of marketing the horses. Uh, Sue's a USDF gold medalist, has the credentials, the training credentials, and so forth um, to handle the presentation aspects and the training uh, and the riding aspects of things. My background, while I am an equestrian dating back to my college years, is the business side of the business, so it's the right. sales, the marketing, 
the internet, uh, being able to do really good quality videos, photography, and, and then working with the client side, both on the selling party as well as on the purchasing party as a business intermediary. So that's my role. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So we kind of have a format of, of, of who, you know, who does this and where they go to and whatnot. On average, I always get this. How long does it take and what are the costs? Okay. Uh, the, I'm going to put some caveats into the question. The first, okay. the first caveat is, is that we have a realistic, realistic pricing structure for where the horse is relative right. to training and so forth. So mm-hmm. one of the first questions that folks need to ask themselves, step back from your emotions for a moment and say, if you were out perusing to find a horse, what would you pay for a horse knowing what you know about yours? Right. Okay. Uh, I think that's just an important an important starting point because quite often uh, we see initially where people will go out they'll look on the internet when they're uh, looking to price to sell their horse they only see the high priced horses that many of which have been on the market for a very long time and aren't getting sold because they're right. not competitively priced. Right. Uh, so I'm going to put that caveat into it. So my assumptions so, okay. are. Let me ask you a quick question. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off because Lord knows I'll forget. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> shut up, Tigger. Um, so, um, that's a pretty common thing. I mean, you and I and Sue have had many conversations about this, and I know as a trainer myself, trying to figure out how to price a horse. I mean, I always, my cutoff um, when increasing the value of a horse, obviously, if it does a clean change, it's an easy change. I mean, that, you know, and depending on the age and blah, 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 blah. But that seems to be a real kicker in this is people not having a realistic view of of the value of their horse just because, you know, Pookie Bear, di- you know, did you write in a training level show or something like that? I mean, how that's the hard <laughs> concept to deal with, right? It's very difficult. The other one is, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this back on you jokingly, Patty, is that <laughs> when the clinician comes to town and makes <laughs> statements to the people that are, you know, undergoing right. the clinic about, oh, this is the nicest horse that I've seen. Anybody right. could go out and get their bronze medal on this horse. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, I mean, but uh, that's true. It's true. True. Yeah. True, true story. Yeah. yeah. So, so what we'll see, you know, in those cases, and this is just something for the professionals when you're out doing the clinicking, the people that you're, that you're teaching in the clinic atmosphere are hanging on every word that you, um, that you give them. Um, so, you know, sometimes that sets a series of expectations and then I have to kind of be the voice of reason and sometimes people don't like hearing that side sure. of it, but mm-hmm. I'd rather have that conversation up front, front right. um, than take somebody's money for needless months because right. we are in the business of matching horses with new buyers, not training board. Right. Okay. That's, that's an excellent point. Okay. So how long does it take? If the horse if the horse is um, is properly you know legged up and ready to go, it should be you know sixty days plus or minus thirty. Okay, okay, that's good. And what basic what are basic costs? I mean, and I know that uh, what you're going to tell me isn't every barn everywhere, but what are basic things? Well, what I'm going to do is rather than get into the numbers, I'm going to, I'll just run you through what you should be looking for, and then okay. a, a way to ap- apply that formula even back to the pricing. Uh, when you're looking to sell the horse, all right. So your your first thing that you're going to have is a training board of some type, board plus training. Mm-hmm. The next thing that's common in in the business is is a commission on the sale of the horse right. to cover everything associated with the marketing and so forth. Uh, 
you know, those are the, and then your additional pieces would be the things you're paying out of pocket normally, your farrier bills, routine immunizations, if those mm-hmm. are coming due, warming, et cetera, and so right. on. <clears throat> okay. And I, um, and this is just a sideline is, um, I get this a lot. And sometimes these are really very well-known people um, or, you know, people that are sending horses to you that always like, can you do this on the cuff? You know, can you do this on the cuff? Can you take the horse and then take the commission in the end? I'm sure you get that a lot. Well, it's, it's offered up, but if you're, if you're in business, you have to keep the lights on. Right. And exactly. The, so if, you know, if the idea is, you know, taking a horse on the cuff, so to speak, there are a lot of unknowns. Now I, I will sometimes depending upon, again, depending on the situation and so forth, I might offer a sliding scale uh, for, you know, the training board component versus taking a larger commission at the time of the sale. Okay. But in, in this business, if I'm going to do that, and I, and I recommend this to anybody that's sending a horse to us, I mean, we've got a horse coming in uh, in the next week from as far away as New Mexico, or actually mm-hmm. coming from Arizona uh, okay. here to be sold. Uh, I strongly recommend do a pre-purchase exam, right. basic lameness, flexions, radiographs, so that there aren't any surprises prior to making the investment to ship a horse to us. Because if the horse is lame, now we're going into trying to figure out what's going on, or, okay. and that's an expensive yeah. proposition. Right. So. right. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay, so that kind of leads me into the next question uh, quite nicely. Thank you. Um, can you describe the typical person that's going to contact you? And obviously, you're getting them from all over the country. So what type of person is calling you? There are, there are three, I think, again, there are three different um, profiles, so to speak, or seller personas that, uh, that come to us. Okay. Um, the first one, and, the, and obviously the best for us, are satisfied clients. Right. Uh, we've been at this, Sue and I, together for going on 15 years. Uh, both of us had at least 10 years prior to that experience right. in equine sales and so forth. Uh, so we've got a number of people, people like you, that know us, know our reputation, uh, and it's a, you know, and they come to us because they've worked with us before. Right. The second one, and that I'm seeing more and more of, which I, it's, it's great, uh, is we're getting direct referrals from other professionals that are recognizing that the value of their time is best spent doing what they do best and not trying to add selling a horse uh, into the mix. Okay. Uh, and then the third is the individual that finds us through our web presence that you know looks up. Uh, I mean, you can go out and Google um, dressage consignment and impulsion unlimited pops is, you know, like the first or the second. So we'll get a number that come through on that. Uh, right. Those, um, generally I question a lot more in detail because it's, uh, you know, it's a relationship. I don't know them. They don't know us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I have to be fairly comfortable uh, that it's the right decision for them and us. And right. often those horses are the ones that have been on the Internet for sale by owner for a long period of time, uh, and they've you know just been striking out for one reason or another. So and that's a little that's undoing, too, isn't it, Jeff? Like if somebody has a horse on the Internet, that there's a little undoing to that, too, because, I mean, some people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I saw, um, I saw Bobby Joe's horse on uh, the back of the Craigslist, and you know, now you have it for sale, and they're trying to figure out why was it for sale for so long. And, that, yeah, that, and that's the, a little hard, huh? 
Well, it is, because the other, the other thing a lot of folks don't realize, and, and think about the shopping experiences when you're taking clients out or when a client is asking you to do evaluations to go out right. on a horse hunting trip. Right. All right. There's been a distinct change in the last 30 years or so. It used to be that we did everything word of mouth. We knew who to deal with, who to stay away right. from. Right. Then, then came the advent of the video. You know, granted, it was the VHS video, and and you know everybody got around for video viewing parties, etc. Now we've gone to a point where they can research anything and everything on a horse. Right. Okay. Uh, so it is problematic because what it, what's happening is is that everybody's looking for a reason to exclude a horse from uh, from being looked at. Versus okay. trying to find a reason okay. to go forward. Right. Okay. All right. So, okay. I just have, um, I've got uh, just uh, briefly, can you give me a little history of, of your of, uh, Impulsion Unlimited? And with that, what is, if there was one single piece of advice you could offer to the audience, what would that be? Sure. Okay. Um, as far as Impulsion Unlimited, uh, we talked about it briefly, so I don't need to add too much more to it. But the right. business is located in Virginia. Um, Sue Cooper and I combined our forces and talents, my business background and, and writing, but her, you know, writing and, well, we put the business together and said, all right, if we're going to do this in Virginia, we would be a sales facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't do borders. We are only a sales facility, so we can focus 100% on sales. Okay. Uh, 15 years experience, you know, Google to your heart's content, you won't find a negative thing on us anywhere. Right. Uh, and that's by design. I mean, we are very, very direct and forthright in the approach, and we always put the horse first. Uh, as far as a single piece of advice, uh, I think that the, the best advice for folks is to think long and careful um, in two points in their decision process. One is when you're making the decision to purchase a horse, be thinking at that time about your exit strategy just in case. Because the hardest horses for us to sell are the ones where somebody essentially got greedy. They saw this discounted horse and thought, oh, what a great deal. I can fix that. Right. Uh, and they bought it, and it was a great deal. And then six months later, it has the same training issues. They may or may not be able to get through with it. And for the same reason they got a deal, it's going to be the same reason they're going to have a very difficult time selling it. Right. Okay. Well, um, okay, this is really great advice, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It sounds sure. um, like there's a, there's a formula to this, and you know what you're doing. Yeah, um, I would. I would also um, recommend. If I mean, I'm not doing this to push the business per se, but if people go to our website, um, there are several places for both buyer and seller articles right. and so forth that we've written for various magazines. Um, much of that is available on our website for Perfect. free. Perfect. That's awesome. So that's well, thank Impulsion you. Unlimited. Yes. Yeah. Impulsionunlimited.com. Correct. And now it's time. For the breed of the show. Now for our breed of the show is going to be Greyhound. And our producer, Glenn, is going to tell us all about the Greyhound. I could talk all day about this. I love, love, love my Greyhounds. And we've owned three of them for the last 20 years, I guess. Um, and I got to tell you, <clears throat> they make terrific... You know, the biggest misconception about Greyhounds, and, and I'm mainly going to talk about the rescued greyhounds off the track. Mm-hmm. 
And that's because that's what we've had. We've had uh, three rescues off the track. We've dealt with three different Greyhound rescue agencies and had terrific luck with every one of them. And we weren't sure, you know, when you get a Greyhound, they're different. Uh, They're a little bit different breed. And, you know, I know every breed says that. But in every way, a greyhound is a little bit different. Health-wise, what they eat, what you have to be careful of, they're they're a different breed. Uh, And, you know, we... We had to take a class. The first place that we adopted from in Pennsylvania actually made us come over, and we took a couple-hour class on greyhounds. And wow. you know, and they are very particular about that with the greyhound rescues, and rightly so, because they don't want them back. Uh, and what, what you learn about a greyhound, and the biggest misconception is, yes, they are fast, fastest dogs you know, in the world. They can actually hit 43 miles an hour in about six strides. I mean, they take off like a gun. So they're faster than a cheater. Yeah, they are very fast. And, you know, it, they've done races with greyhounds and quarter horses, and the quarter horses don't stand a chance in that short distance. I thought you were going to wow. say they did them with cheetahs and greyhounds, and I was I like, God, well, I think was the a mess. And that- gre- I think cheetahs are a little faster because they can hit like 60 miles an hour, but the greyhounds are oh, fast. Oh, I thought when they accelerate, they hit 35. I think that the cheetahs are faster because they eat the greyhounds. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's part of it. I mean, I don't mean to be grim here, guys, but come on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But they are very fast, and but they are the most lazy dogs you're ever going to find. That they actually make great apartment dogs as long as you have a place that you can bring them once or twice a week, like a dog park where you can let them run. They need that exercise, and they really only need it a couple times a week. Okay. Otherwise, they make terrific house pets. A couple of the good things that we love about greyhounds is, is they don't bark. 99% of them just don't bark. Mm-hmm. We actually have heard, we've had ours now for three or four years, this one and the others for 20 years. And on rare occasions, like the other day, there was a, do- a stray dog that came up to our front door. And the, our greyhound barked, and it scared the crap out of both of us because we've never heard it before. Oh, that's funny. And, you know, they have this deep bark, and it was just so funny to actually hear her say anything. So they're great dogs that way. We have uh, we've had three different ones, and they're all about the same personality-wise. They're just very lazy, but they love to go out and run. She smiles. Our current one's name is Glory because we got her on the 4th of July. Now, she, she was a rescue that actually uh, was not a race dog. She was found as a oh, wow. stray in the woods of Kentucky. Oh, wow. wow. She actually had a baby with her. She she had had a, oh a puppy. Gosh. And when they got back, somebody had spotted her and called the Greyhound Rescue. They came back the next day and actually found her, but not the puppy. Oh. So we have actually pictures of her and the puppy from the first day that somebody drove by. And we think somebody stopped and picked the puppy up yeah. is what happened. Uh, was it a Greyhound puppy? Yeah, it was her puppy. It was, but it was purebred, or was it? Well, I mean, this is it- what we think her story was. In the rural Kentucky, where this where this dog was found, uh, they take and breed greyhounds with the hunting dogs to make faster hunting dogs. And we oh, think she either okay. was she kicked okay. out of the she was kicked out, or she ran away. She is terrified of gunshots. Anything she- loud like Fourth uh, of July is awful for her. And we get a lot of use out of the Thunder shirt. 
Uh, the th- oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great product. It works for her. It really, yeah. really works for her. And we, we have been through a couple now because they wear out. Yeah. Because uh, she really does. If, if we go outside and there's some shooting in the neighborhood, she loses her cookies and wants back to the house. <laughs> There's shooting in your neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, there's quite a bit here. Actually. Do you live in the hood? <laughs> yeah, actually, we're in a we're in a horsey neighborhood, but there's quite a bit of shooting, and unfortunately, there's a gun range about a half a mile away. Okay, that makes more oh. sense. Yeah, so that's bad, and she just loses her cookies. But you know, yeah. that's her. We've never had one that had that problem before. We think it's because she grew up around gunfire and hated it. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but she they are they are so easy to take care of. Their coats are short. They need you know just some brushing and an occasional bath. Otherwise, they're very easy grooming wise. They, they are very particular about what you can use for them as far as uh, worm medicine, as far as flea collars and things. You have to be very careful. Greyhounds are different. They are they have, sensitive? Yes, very thin-skinned. There's a reason okay. that about 50% of the greyhounds years ago were sent to laboratories. One is they will let you do anything to them. They're they will tolerate anything. Oh, oh, so no. they were sent yeah. to laboratories for all kinds of testing. The other is they're th- so thin-skinned that when they were testing stuff on them, it was very quick to get the results. Oh. Now, I'm happy to say that that's changed now. And, and many of the tracks now have gone to a all-adoption policy. Any greyhound that goes to the racetrack at those tracks, and most of them are going that route, have to be adopted out. Oh, oh good. I will. I know say, my my, yeah, my brother-in-law has two um, adopted greyhounds, and I mean, literally, it's like talking to him. Same thing. They're so lazy. All of oh, all of these things. So it's kind of cool. They are truly the best dogs. They're great farm dogs. Now, the only caution is, and they make you sign an agreement when you get a greyhound that says this, that you you won't take them off the leash if they're not mm-hmm. in a fenced-in area. Because same thing. Yeah. You know, zero to forty miles an hour in six strides. If they see something they want to chase, if that bunny goes running. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone, and you're not going to call them back. Uh, You know, (laughs) they're just gone, and they're gone. I mean, literally, they'll be out of sight in no time. They're that fast. The one we have now, Glory, she's only about 50 pounds, which is on the smaller side for a Greyhound. We've had one that was almost 100 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, they come in very varied sizes. And when you adopt them, you can kind of say what you want. Size-wise, she is the fastest one that we've had. And we had her out with a group of 25 greyhounds at a play day. And this was at a big dog park. And you turn out for 25 greyhounds. And most of the part, most of the time, they just walk around sniffing each other like dogs do. But yeah. then one of them decides to run, and they all take off. Oh, and, I bet it's so cool. It is so cool. And every time she started last in the pack and came in second. There was one dog that beat her every time, but she was fast. Uh, and she never raced, which is kind of sad. And people ask me all the time, well, I bet you you hate greyhound racing. No, I don't. Not at all. I think I, we wouldn't have these dogs if it wasn't for greyhound racing. The purebreds that are bred for show and, and are different dogs. They're different critters altogether. Well, it um, sounds like they've really figured this out with the racing and the adoption For the most thing. part. With, you know, there's always exceptions like there is with any discipline that we have with horses. There's right. good trainers and there's bad trainers. You know them in the dressage world. You know yeah. them in the jumping. Every discipline has their bad apples, right? right. Well, they have that in, in greyhounds, too. I want to tell you a quick story because it's so cool. When we got our first greyhound, her name was Bam Bam. And she was, she was a really cool dog, but we got her from, in Pennsylvania because we didn't have kids. She had crashed at the racetrack and was pretty beat up. And they wanted a house that didn't have kids because they didn't want kids pulling on her because she was in bad shape when we got her. Right. This is what happened. She was in a race. 
the she slipped and went up in the air, actually hit the electric rail that makes the bunny go, Ooh. and uh. had a fry mark across her head. <gasps> Uh, oh, came God. down and broke her back leg, uh, and oh. and we don't. Lord knows what else she broke. So the medics went right out, and they were going to put her down right there on the track. The vet comes out; they were going to put her right down. The trainer, this lovely girl who was probably in her twenties, uh, came out and said, "No, this has been a good dog. She's won a lot of races. I do not want to put her down." The trainer paid almost a thousand dollars in vet bills to have her saved. Wow. To wow. to send her wow. then off for adoption, she she you know recouped her most of the way. When we she That's got great. her, she had evidence of cuts everywhere. She had the fry mark on her head. We said that she was brain dead because of that. Um, <laughs> but she was the sweetest dog. And two years later, there's an end to this story. We go to a picnic in Pennsylvania, and this trainer happened to be there from Connecticut. Came down for the picnic. Oh my as gosh. soon as Bam Bam saw this trainer, she went running over and did something I've oh. never seen her do. She jumped up on her with uh, her feet on the girl's shoulders and hugged her like you wouldn't oh believe. So I just got chills. That is so cool. It was the neatest thing we've ever seen. That dog never jumped up on anybody, ever, us or anybody. Wow. But she did with that trainer. And the trainer cried. So, oh, I'm sure. I'm tearing I'm sure. up right now. Um, yeah. It was a cool thing. You know, in thing. Wellington, there's, um, there are a couple of greyhound, people who have greyhound rescues. And one day I was there with the Aussies as I'm there every day. And my Aussies think they're pretty buff, fast dogs and they can pretty much, you know, whip anybody <laughs> in the medium sized dog park. Well, this greyhound comes in and one of them, one of my dogs, Kimasabi, is like, oh, yeah, you may be tall, but yeah, check, check this out. And the greyhound's just sort of walking around. I mean, and I'm thinking, when is it going to really, like, turn it on? Because yeah. my dog is like, oh, this is nothing. I mean, it's just walking around. Big deal. Well, something sparked that greyhound's enthusiasm, <laughs> and it, it just picked up sort of a nice light canner. And my dogs are like, okay, here we go. And then in, in a blink of an eye, it was gone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and poor my dogs are like, what? the heck was that the flash <laughs> we were at the dog park the one day and this was with this dog with glory we were at the dog park the one day and this real jerk of a guy who had a german shepherd there and he was just kind of he was always a jerk every time i saw him you know just to everybody and we happened to be walking our dogs at the one end this is a big dog park in lexington and he was all like in my face about how his greyhound or his uh, german shepherd could keep up with the greyhound well they just happened to take off at the same time and basically the greyhound was just running circles it was just embarrassing uh you know and the german shepherd is like cutting corners to keep up and and you know the greyhound's just playing with with this german shepherd and he just didn't say a word to me and walked away he just (laughs) he never said a word to me after that i was so i was so proud (laughs) yeah Wow, Glenn. I know. It was that manly testosterone thing going on at the dog park. (laughs) Um, Since they are sensitive, what do you have to feed them? I mean, premium dog food. Unfortunately, the expensive stuff. Um, We get, uh, we use uh, uh, Wellness True Food. Mm. Um, which is what we have to use for our cat, too, because our, our cat's a pain in the butt, mostly, um, about everything, including what he eats. So, yeah, we use, and we have to cook for the cat, too. But uh, she, one of the things about greyhounds is a lot of times you have to be careful with the premium foods uh, because they're so sensitive. 
Mm-hmm. to everything. So sometimes the premium foods are a problem. Yeah. Uh, but we, we had to experiment. You kind of experiment and you find one that uh, that works for your dog and then you do not change it. Right. Because they're so sensitive. If we change her food, she gets sick. Um, so they're... they're their digestive system is, is an issue that you really have to worry about. You really have to worry about what you use for wormers uh, and then also flea medicine as well. But when you adopt a greyhound, they tell you all of that. They give you it pretty much in a contract that you have yeah. to sign that tells you all that. And, Bo, by the way, you can adopt one for about 200 bucks. Um, and it was it's the best, you know... I just can't say enough good things about a greyhound. They're quiet. They're family dogs. They love people. They love other dogs. I haven't, we haven't found another dog that she doesn't like. And other dogs that don't like other dogs like her. <laughs> because I think they're non-threatening. I just, I have a prediction. Yeah. This dog could be president. I think Edwin has a problem. <laughs> Can you tell we love our greyhound? No, it's so sweet, though. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, and you know what? You're, it's the same. It really is the same. You're doing the same thing as when you get an off-the-track thoroughbred. You're really rescuing yeah. a, a race yeah. animal, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what you're doing. You're rescuing an animal. And yeah. uh, thankfully, a lot more people are realizing what great pets they make, and more and more are getting rescued, and less and less are going to laboratories. So That's awesome. Yep. Yay. So good on the Greyhound. I'll post a picture in our show notes. We'll make that the show notes picture okay, of the week. Perfect. Of mine uh, in her happiest moment going about 35 miles an hour for a professional photographer. So, oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Wow. So, and you see the smile. They, that's the only time they truly smile is when they're racing. So. Oh, that's so neat. So that is cool. So thank you for listening to me gush about my glory, who's, by the way, laying <laughs> oh, right no, under my feet it, it, right now. So Great stories. <laughs> she spends all day at work with me. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna soon want to Skype with the dog involved. I can see it. <laughs> she doesn't talk though, that's kinda hard. This is the nutrition corner and we're going to talk about essential fatty acids. Um they're commonly known as omega three and omega six. Now they're called essential fatty acids because they're actually required by the body. They are essential to the horse's diet. Um in humans, they are also considered essential nutrients. They are found primarily in grains and, and grasses. And when horses are foraging and eating pasture, they get a lot of omega-3s. Um, when they eat oats and corn and barley and grains, they get a lot of omega-6. What the omega-3 and omega-6 do in the body is is if you imagine a a gyroscope and you're always trying to keep it at zero or at balance, that's what you want the omega-3 and 6 to do in the body. But so often, the omega-6s get elevated because the horse is not getting enough omega-3s. Um, the, the biological processes of the body with essential fatty acids they're required for the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins and, and phytonutrients. And these fat-soluble vitamins include vitamins A, vitamins D, vitamins E, vitamins K, and the carotenes. Essential fatty acids are critical for the production of hormones and healthy cell membranes. Um, because they can't be manufactured or synthesized by the horse's body, Horses that live on pasture tend to have, you know, plenty of omega-3s. 
But horses that get predominantly feeds and hay can have far less omega-3s in their diet. In the winter, horses that are on pasture and forage, um, that's when the omega-3 content is low to almost non-existent. So wintertime is a very good time if your horse lives out on pasture all the time to supplement with omega-3s. Horses that, of course, are living in stalls, have limited turnout, are fed hay and, and grains or commercial feeds, definitely need to be supplemented with omega-3s. When you um, look at your uh, at a, a typical feed tag of commercial feed, you'll notice that the omega-6-3 ratio is generally 2 to 1 and sometimes 3 to 1. So there's two to three times more omega-6 than there is omega-3. And even though many formulations include flaxseed, there just isn't enough to balance the higher amounts of omega-6. The thing that's important is that in this gyroscope um, image that, I, that I'm mentioning, and you know, you, you want both these omega-3 and 6 to be in balance with with each other. It's because omega-6 supports the pro-inflammatory response in the body and omega-3 supports the anti-inflammatory response in the body. Obviously, in, in, in harmony, in synchrony, in homeostasis, omega-3 and 6 are just on the equal line of the gyroscope. But so often because of um, hay not having enough omega-3, typical commercial feeds don't have enough omega-3, it becomes an, a very, very important food to supplement. There are three basic sources of omega-3s to feed horses. Um, one of them is flaxseed. It's been fed for hundreds of years The other is chia, which is a relatively new arrival on the omega-3 scene. And the third is fish oil, which is, you know, relatively new and not uh, a common feed for um, animals that are herbivores. So let's talk about each one. Flaxseed is high in omega-3, low in omega-6. It's a, a hard, dense little seed Some horses will not fully digest it and it will come out in the manure and will sprout nice little flaxes in your pasture. Um, You can soak flax. That will soften the shell and make it easier for the stomach acids to break up and for the horse to utilize. You can also cook flax. This was really common in Europe and in the U.S., um, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And in the winter, it was rather common to, you know, take a big pot of flaxseed and heat it up on the stove and, and, you know, add it to the horse's feed. There's, there's some um, internet sources that say, oh, you have to be careful with, with uh, flaxseed because it contains cyanide. Well, uh, the amount of flaxseed uh, the amount of cyanide in flaxseed 
you would have to feed a horse, you know, bushels at one time. There's cyanide and apple seeds. And, you know, to this day, we don't know of any horse that has died from cyanide poisoning from eating apples. So, yes, plants contain um, defense mechanisms, but they're defense mechanisms not against horses and not against humans. They're mostly against insects. And that, because that is what could affect their ability to reproduce. So that's flax is useful. It's beneficial. It's easy. You can find it at any health food, I mean, any feed store. And it's a very common source of omega-3s for horses. Chia seed is relatively new, although it's a very ancient seed. It's a seed from Central and South America. It has some um, links to the old Aztec empire. In fact, the Spanish banned it from being grown because they felt that the chia made the Aztec warriors too brave and strong. So they made it illegal. Luckily, chia still survives. And we now have discovered what a valuable, valuable plant this is. Chia is higher in omega-3s than flax. And it's a much smaller seed, so it's very, very easy for the horse to digest. You, you know, virtually never see a chia seed in, in horse's manure. It's a highly mucilogenic seed like flax, but it soaks up 10 times its, its size in moisture. So if you add chia to feed and you add water, within 5 or 10 minutes, you'll see it. It, it, it looks like a uh, a, a gelatin mass with little black specks of chia seeds. The advantage of the fact that it is so hydroscopic is that when the horse takes it into the body, it works a lot like psyllium to pick up the sand and the grit that can be in the gut. The other part of chia with its incredibly mucilogenic properties is that it slows the digestion of carbohydrates. This makes it really unique for metabolic horses because metabolic horses will experience, you know, spikes in blood sugar. And that's, you know, we're never going to get carbohydrates out of, out of a metabolic horse's diet. But chia helps reduce that rush of carbohydrates on the, the body system when the horse is eating hay and grass. So I find chia to be a, a wonderful, wonderful omega-3 essential fatty acid source for all horses, but really in particular, very helpful to metabolic horses and very helpful to horses that live in sandy um, uh, soil areas like Florida and Arizona and New Mexico, and I guess parts of Texas and California. There are, are two other components to chia that, that are important. Chia is very high in an amino acid called proline. Proline is the major constituent of collagen. So if you're healing connective tissue, you want to support connective tissue. Feeding chia not only will provide the omega-3s, it will also provide a high amount of proline, which the body will use for collagen production. And another interesting feature in chia, particularly if it's grown in South America, is that the soils in South America are still relatively high in a, an, a mineral nutrient called boron. And 
The soils in the U.S. used to be very high boron soils. We have now farmed that pretty much out of our soil. But in South America, boron is still a, a widely available nutrient to plants. Boron aids in the, in the absorption of calcium. So it's especially important when you have a horse that may have some bone-related joint issue that you be able to support the calcium with uh, a food grown with a lot of boron, and that would be chia. Fish oil is the third choice, and you know while we don't think of our horses going down to the local fishmonger and you know ordering up a salmon, um, fish oil is very high in omega threes. It's an excellent source of omega threes, and in India, which I, I learned from a very interesting book, in India it was common in the you know sixteen and seventeen hundreds when they didn't have enough forage, they actually fed their their horses fish. So, you know, strangely enough, horses will eat it. What I mostly hear from people who have used fish oil is that the palatability is an issue. And there are several companies that have, you know, gone to great lengths to remove the odor and to process the fish oil um, in a way that is more appetizing to horses. But as we're finding on the human side with fish oil, how the fish oil is, um, is made is critical. And there are a lot of um, fishing issues now with sustainability and even farmed fish. What are they fed in order to get the oils? So if you don't want to have to go down the rabbit hole of um, evaluating whether fish is a good choice for your horse, you are always safe feeding flax or chia. And just remember, horses that are on pasture all winter um, need supplementation of omega-3s. Horses that are predominantly on, on hay and commercial feed and grain, they definitely need to be supplemented with omega-3s. And metabolic horses in particular will benefit from, from chia seeds. And um, Horses that have any kind of connective tissue strain, injury, or are recovering from would benefit tremendously from Chia. To learn more about the products that Tigger just discussed, visit BiostarUS.com. BiostarUS.com is your choice for top-quality whole food supplements, including Chia and many other products for the well-being of your pets. Biostar US empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feed programs. Visit them today at BiostarUS.com. And now we're in our Coffee Clatch segment of the show, and Patty is going to talk about her fashion predictions for 2016. Well, initially, Tigger, when we talked about this, we <clears throat> had um, a couple different um, ideas of what we were going to do. And I think I, I landed, I'd like to really talk about equestrian fashion. Um, I do have a couple normal uh, fashion predictions that I have, um, actually more commentary, and I'll get to that later. Um, I honestly, I, I, would, I went on the internet, I started looking around, and of course you and I have a very good friend, um, Beth Hayes from The Horse, of course, who has excellent taste. And excellent. I always go by, you know, what she says. <clears throat> and one of the things that I have been noticing 
honestly, is there are so much more um, verbiage like on clothes, like Picor now has, you know, it down the leg or on the pocket or, you know, across, the, you know, the britches in some way. It's like if you haven't been able to already know that they're going to be expensive britches, let's put it in really big letters across your butt. So, <laughs> right. And, and I'm just telling you, I'm not buying those bridges because nothing needs to make this cargo look wider than it already is. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that I like some of the stuff that they're doing, but I, I've decided one of my predictions is people are going to start putting their names on their bridges, on the pockets. Tiggy Montague, right? <laughs> think about it. <laughs> I think that that's where sponsors are going to put their names. Actually, you know, it's it's not a horrible. I mean, it's, I mean, wouldn't you wear a Biostar breech? Absolutely. If it made my hiney look smaller, you are not kidding. You can put whatever you want tagged across this thing as long as I look like I'm about 127 pounds and 21 years old. <laughs> I think we're going to see more. We're going to follow more of what the Western riders are doing, where they have. You know the sponsor's name or down the the sleeve of the That's the a good shirt idea. on the collars. Right. Um, I actually think it looks kind of cool. You know, I like the collars when you flip them up. Um, I can't remember the name. Um, I want to say sort of like giving the collar the bird. Yeah, yeah. Flip. <laughs> but like Kingsland does that. Like you flip the collar up, and it. Ha- I think it's Kingsland, and it has the name on the back. I like that. I I want a collar that has my name on the back. A good thinking. I'm gonna. That's. I, th- I like that. I think that's a good birthday. That reminds present. me of when I went to camp and my mother used to sew my name into all the clothes. <laughs> yeah. I, or, or I just used to do magic marker, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one, too. Yeah. By the third day, if it wasn't on their neck, it was washed out because they were in the lake or whatever. Um, so, you know, another thing I was thinking, too, was um, – and I don't, and actually, I don't know how legal this is because I, I, but you know how they're starting to, the Kep helmet um, is putting flags or, or mm-hmm. whatever on the back. And I, I have to say, I kind of do like some of that. It's sort of. Um, Me too. I think, doesn't um, Carl Hessler, doesn't he do the, the, his flag on his helmet? So, and no, Charlotte doesn't. She does a Char- Charles Owen, but I kind of like that idea. What do you think of that? I, I love that idea. Yeah, I think it's neat. I wonder if people will get into what do you think about people because this was my next next um prediction if that were to really take off is people start to put their logos on the back of their of well, their that's helmet. what I was thinking of like your farm colors in right. a flag sort of like oh, jockey that's a good silks. idea yeah except <laughs> it's on your head <laughs> no but I think I you know I think um I honestly all kidding aside I do think I do see a lot of um the fashion going that way I don't know how quickly that will take off but I do think that they've gotten so much more bold in what they're doing as far as colors now I know there are some restrictions um in in how big things can be but I think helmets are a great opportunity to do advertisements for example barbecue is big down here it's a big thing down here. Can you see Joe's barbecue on the back of a helmet <laughs> in the middle of Wellington? I think that'd be great. Be- better than on the front of the helmet. That's true. I, I mean, if you need orthodonta, you could you could get somebody to just like, listen, you don't have to pay for your kid's braces. Just let me put this on your helmet. <laughs> you know, it would be a fantastic advertising vehicle because everybody wears one. Yeah. I I can see it getting to be sort of like NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, that's 
that's what I was thinking too. I mean, Twinkies. I, somehow I, I just don't think the FEI is that. They're just, you know, we need to get them over to a NASCAR event. Let's I face think it. you're right. Get I those people right. out of Europe, sit them down in the seats and let them smell the tires and the gasoline and, you know, appreciate it makes me think of one of my favorite movies of all time, Talladega Nights, <laughs> where, where they ended up selling the windshield space. I think it was like Twinkie or something, and the guy's driving. I can see that happening. You know, the, the 1K helmets that have the, the sunglasses that come down? I, yeah, I yeah, can, yeah. I can see horse across, course, of course, across that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't it's think actually that- a helmet is a better place for sponsor – um, marketing really than a saddle pad because you're so limited to the size right. that you can put on a saddle pad. And sometimes a sponsor, you have to like get a magnifying glass to go, who, who exactly who is, that? is that sponsor? Well, and I know there's limits so, to how much you can put on, right? There's, I mean, I yes, know that it can't be size wise, <clears throat> right? Yeah. It can't be bigger than, um, I think it's like, it's like a CD case. Now, you know, I know that now the CDI they do down here in Texas, they, the, um, TD has this little string thing. It's kind of cool. And it just shows the, the size of what you can do. You can do it in all different, you know, um, it's like a square or, you know, it's tied together, but it shows the size of what it can be. But I, um, but you know, it now be- maybe. Maybe what we could do is really think out of the box and, and go to, to football as an inspiration. Okay. You know, paint the horses the color of your sponsor. <laughs> Don't get Hedwig involved in this because you know how she feels about painting animals. <laughs> True. <laughs> be washable. I don't, think, I don't think you should go down that road. <laughs> But, you know, it will be interesting to see if any of that, like if, if stuff of that ever does take off. Because, you know, there are so many sponsors out there and, um, and there are a lot of riders that are out there. It will be very interesting to see if any of this stuff ever does sort of take off, whether it is helmets or jackets or whatever. I mean, I know that the, obviously the clothing companies are doing more, um, like I said, you know, putting Picor down the leg or, you know, whatever. But it will be interesting to see if they go that route. What do you think they're going to do in terms of color, not for the shows, because we know how restricted we are right. in colors, but um, what do you think, where do you think breaches, is there, is, there, is there a limit to how bright a color breach you can wear? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I just was thinking of a, a pink pair that I bought years ago, and I, I mean, they were so ridiculous, I didn't even wear them. But remember when I went through that big bridge phrase and I had all the different, like I had every new type that, that were out there. And I thought that that was crazy. Uh, I think one of your favorite pair that I had was just like this horse print. And I just thought they were wild. I just thought they were crazy. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. Now, do you remember my tomato yes. red, orange? Oh, loved that, those yeah. breeches. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I No, I think that I think I, but I do, th- I feel like, you know, when the shad belly thing kind of went all over, you know, color wise, I really feel like a lot of people got back to real basic. I've had a bunch of clients actually recently want to go back to just the old fashioned. Some of them even wanted to go wool, which I thought was nuts. You know, our original, oh. right. The original ones with the blue, the, the canary. Oh my God. Do I ever that you sweated like a pig under. I still have my first one. I do too. Yeah. I still have my first one. And I do too. I, Mine yeah. was a Kentucky. Right. Oh my gosh. 
Wow. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of the amateurs like that it's a fun avenue for them to express themselves. I, I have a feeling that a lot of the professionals are going to stay a little bit more mainstream in the stuff that they do. But as far as wearing britches outside of the, uh, outside of the show ring, I think anything any color, anything will happen. I think people love to do. I, I think. I think it's fun. I mean, it's our office, right? I mean, sitting on the horse is yeah. our office. So why exactly. not express yourself? You know what I would like to see come back what? was when it was that sort of off-white breech with off-white gloves and right. off-white shirt. And for the right horse, mm-hmm. that was there was something I, so much that it had a little bit of yellow in it. Yeah, and it was just enough that. Uh, with the right horse, it was just beautiful. You know, it just dawned on me as we're saying all this. I can I can imagine Beth listening to this, going, "Oh my gosh, just stop talking." <laughs> I'm never dressing either one of them again. Because I was going to make a suggestion, and Beth, I'm sorry if you don't like it. But I was thinking the off the off color, um, you know, britches with the off color gloves and all that. I didn't. I, I mean, I always liked the white pad, but I know that a lot of people liked the off color pad. But with a brown with brown tack and on yes, a absolutely horse. brown tack yeah. on a chestnut horse. Yeah, spectacular. I agree. And a blue, I, blue shad belly, not yep. a black one. Yep, I agree. Now I predict that the bling on boots is going to fade into the Me sunset. Me too. Me too. Me one because uh, you know first off, um, I think that it's hard to maintain them. Um, I'm, yeah. I've never been a bit blingy. I mean, I, I've done some for me kind of risque things um i know that's hard to believe but i mean i would like to trim things in red and whatever but i don't like to do i don't want to draw attention to things that don't need drawing attention to you know what i mean (laughs) um so but i think i do think that that's going to go away again i think a lot of amateurs enjoy that i think that's a fun avenue thing i think that's you know um fun but it's interesting um you know my my dear friend kelly farmer who's been a td a long time she told me uh, when she, you know, when the show is over and she has dinner with a lot of the judges, you know, she'd say, "What is your opinion on bling?" And a lot of them really didn't like it. Yeah, they found it distracting, which I thought was interesting. So, what is your insight with the the big fashion houses these days? Well, Tigger, I <clears throat> was just doing a little research uh, when we were decided to do this, and I came across um, a Coco Chanel bag, which I'm sure was about a million dollars. Okay. And it was round and it was black and cream or black and white. And it, you know, it sort of said Coco Chanel and sort of, you know, is, is small and round like a pie pan. And my number one, my first impression of this was I could go to Target and get a Hello Kitty uh, bag for like $14 and, and absolutely have it look the same. It's some of this stuff just doesn't make any sense to me. You know what I'm saying? It just, it's just bizarre. I mean, Hello Kitty is, is a very valid fashion statement okay they come in all different colors they got a little kitty on it i'm sure hedwig would love it but i (laughs) i just i i don't get a lot of the fashion stuff i really don't i really don't get it i think it's um it just it isn't my cup of tea so i'm going to target and And i'm getting a hello kitty Kitty bag yes yes ma'am i am it's your christmas present by the way For information on our show sponsor, go to www.biostarus.com or on Facebook, Biostar US. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android. 
by searching the Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to www.healthycrittersradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. So, love your horse, hug your dog. Merry Merry Christmas and happy Festivus. festivus.